the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And uh, if you're new or visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Now, I know you guys, based on the volume of conversation happening, you guys would never have this trouble. But uh, sometimes, you know, you get into a group of people, maybe you're new and you don't know what to talk about with them. You're not sure what's a safe topic of conversation. And then it gets a little quiet. There's a little bit of lull in the conversation. Uh, I, if you're not a raving extrovert like me, I want to give you the topic that you need to talk about in that situation when it happens to you next, okay? So uh, no one can resist talking about this topic. It's not the current labor dispute, but this is an area of conversation, you know, you get, get into a lull. Just ask people about their experience board, at the border crossing. Because right, everyone ha will tell you a story about their experience at the border crossing. Story after story after story. Some people have way too many stories about bad things happening to them when they cross the border. So uh, they never tell you about the dull and the uninteresting times, which usually accounts for 99.9% .9 of the border crossings that I'm assuming that you as law-abiding citizens do. But they will always tell you about the ones at Customs and Immigration that are sensational. The time that they almost got this, or this almost happened to them, or this did happen to them, or things didn't go quite as planned. Well, one, uh, I can think of from our experience, one Sunday morning, this is just a very tame one, uh, when we were crossing a few years back uh, on a Sunday morning, and the U.S. Uh, Customs and Immigration official asked us, what is the purpose of your visit? Which is a fairly standard question. And I said, well, Sunday morning, we're gonna go uh, to Seattle to go to church. And without missing a beat, the agent said, what, are there no good churches for you to attend in Canada? <laughs> I said, no, no, we're going down to attend a church with a friend. It's a black gospel church. I think we have some of them in Canada, but I'm not 100% sure. So anyways, they let us go through. And on that same day, on our return trip, we explained the same thing to the agent coming back into Canada. And uh, they said, well, what was the duration of your trip? And I said, well, it was a black gospel service. It went a little bit longer, but we were just gone for the day. And without missing a beat, she said, well, what's that pillow doing in your back seat? I said, well, you know, sometimes a passenger, when you go for a day trip, they like to take a pillow. And we got into an argument whether or not the pillow had been purchased in the States and I was failing to declare the pillow. And I said, you're welcome to take the pillow and see the drool marks on it if you want. But this is not a new pillow. And so, you know, she, I don't think she wanted to bother with that, probably too much paperwork, so we let go through the border. But I'm sure you could tell your own stories of interest crossing through the border. But the reason I bring this up is that all good border agents have those two questions in their pocket at any given time to ask you. Number one, what is the purpose of your visit? And number two, what is the duration of or the length of your stay because these phrases are kind of like gateway questions they help them know how to respond to whatever it is that you're presenting them with if you tell them you're there for business then that's a whole nother deal than if you're just there to do some shopping for the day and so it helps them assess why you're here what the intention of your visit is and how they should respond and as we are going to see in a minute these two questions are quite profound and especially if we apply them to our spiritual lives, but they will open up for us areas that often go overlooked or unasked when it comes to dealing with trials in our lives.
Well, this morning we're launching into a new teaching series in the fall called Mirror, Mirror, and we are reflecting on the book of James in the New Testament. And one of the most powerful things in this book, it's a very short book towards the end of the New Testament. It's less than 100 verses in length, packed away right at the back of the Bible, written by James, the brother of Jesus. It invites us to hold up a mirror to our own lives so we can see what's really going on in our heads, in our hearts, and in our souls. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's so practical. It always drives towards what are you going to do with the information that you acquire. It talks about daily living, but it also challenges us at a very deep level no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey this morning. So we're going to dive into the book of James. Uh, Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your Bible with you, or you can uh, turn there on your phone on the YouVersion app. You can download that from Bible.com. It's great because then you don't have to fool around with trying to find where James is. You just pull it up, look at the table of contents, and you're good to go. Uh, So James chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation. And... um, is just like many of the books in the New Testament, the book of James is written as a letter to people scattered throughout the Mediterranean in the first century. And from what we know of history, it was very difficult to be a Christian at this time and in these places. If you lived in the city of Jerusalem and you were a Christian, you had it difficult because you faced the challenge of explaining to people in your culture that you had grown up with why this Jesus whom you follow in their minds was executed as a Roman criminal, but you say that he's the promised Messiah and is the son of God. And this tension was not just a philosophical tension. It boiled over into very real conflict. As you see, you can read the book of Acts. One of the main characters in the New Testament, the book uh, of, or sorry, the apostle Paul, was so convinced in his early life that Christians were dangerous, that he took on the vocational task of hunting them down and killing some for their faith, dragging them off to prison. And this is still happening in different parts of our world today. It's why we spent a few weeks ago uh, spending time praying for uh, brothers and sisters in Iraq. In the first century, if you didn't live in Jerusalem, if you, if you lived in other places in the Roman world, things were not much better for you. Sure, you might have lived in a city that was maybe more, or an environment that was more pluralistic, that was more open to spirituality, but if you had Jewish heritage as an early Christian, you were subject to racial prejudices and discrimination. Uh, history records for us that the Emperor Nero in Rome Uh, actually accused the followers of Jesus of starting the great fire in Rome in AD 64. And that gave him the political uh, leverage that he needed to be able to kill, send many of them to their death in gladiator games or in the Roman Colosseum. Some were even burned alive in Nero's gardens for entertainment. And so simply the act of identifying yourself as a Christian meant that you had a target on your back in the ancient world. And so it's into this kind of an environment that James writes his letter. And perhaps that's why his first statements are so jarring. He introduces himself and his audience and then he jumps right in with the subject at hand. So James 1.1 says, this is a letter from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of God, Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing 
to the 12 tribes, puts that in quotation marks, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Verse two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And the logical question that upon reading this text, either as a first century Jewish Christian or for you and I today, should be to ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do with a verse in the Bible like that? that tells me to be filled with joy over the tragedies that come into my life. I mean, I just lost my job, or I just lost my mother to cancer. I'm pretty far from being joyful about it. My baby was born still for My brother died of leukemia. My husband walked out on me with no warning or no explanation. How does this passage of the Bible about joy fit with what I am facing in my life? See, the Bible paints a very consistent picture of suffering and trials and temptation, but it's not always a culturally palatable vision. Trials, the Bible describes as those outward circumstances that come into our life, wanted or unwanted. Temptations, those things that arise from our own life and from our heart that come to lead us to make choices, uh, lead us away, lead us astray. And so I think we need to be clear. James is not asking us to get excited and jump up and down about the trial or trials or temptations themselves. That would be masochistic. That would just be a desire to willfully invite pain to come into our lives. So that's not what James is speaking about here. But James is saying that we need to ask a compelling question as something comes into our lives, just like a good border guard asks when someone or something comes into their country. What is the purpose of your visit? Because trials are going to come into our lives. It's not a situation of if they come. James says, when they come, what are you going to do? And so the arrival of trials into our lives ought to cause us to pause and ask, why has this come into my life? Why now? What is the purpose of trials? What is the purpose of their visit? And this passage suggests for us that trials come into our lives to test our faith. Trials come into our lives to test our faith. Tim Keller, in his exceptional uh, book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, asks this question. When times are good, how do you know if you love God or you just love the things that God is giving to you or doing for you? The answer is you don't really. In times of health and prosperity, it's very easy to think that you have a loving relationship with God. But suffering reveals the impurities or perhaps the falseness of our faith in God. In a sense, it's only in time of trial that faith and trust 
can be known whether or not it is in God. And therefore, it's only in suffering that our love relationship with God can actually become more and more genuine. Trials come into our lives to test our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says it in this way. These trials show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials show that your faith or whether or not your faith is genuine. But you see, when we think about trials, we tend to think about trials as inconvenient and unnecessary. When they crowd into our lives, we resent them and push them away as intruders. And this is because the prominent view that we carry with us is that trials in any way, shape, or form are an interruption of the freedom to live my life in a way that brings me the most happiness. But if we were to ask the question, what is the purpose of your visit? And the answer is to test your trust. Then again, here we don't rejoice in the trial itself, but we can rejoice in the ultimate purpose of their visit, the growth of our faith. So again, we don't rejoice in the trials themselves, but we can choose to rejoice in the purpose of their visit. James says that it will be the development of a stronger, a more genuine, a more resilient, a more deeper faith that begins now and carries on into eternity for those who know and who love Jesus and who have trusted him with their lives. But this process is not an automatic or guaranteed process. It doesn't just happen because trials come into your life. It takes another ingredient that is lacking in my life quite often, but that James highlights for us in verse 3. And that ingredient is endurance. James says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Not that it will grow automatically, but that it could grow. And so he says, let it grow, let it grow, don't hold it back anymore. I couldn't resist. You see, when something that we perceive as negative comes into our lives, we ask, just like a good border guard would ask, what is the duration of your stay? And we hope if it's a trial or a tribulation, we hope that the answer is short. We say to God, God, I hope we can get this over with soon so I can get back to regular life. When a trial or temptation persists beyond what we think that it, the time frame that it should last, or if it's deeper than we think that it should be, we're often tempted to take an easy way out. We're not very persistent 
when it comes to wrestling with hardship as a generation or as a culture, are we? But James says when our faith is tested, our endurance is revealed. Because trials actually require something of us. And if we want to grow in endurance, trials require us to take a longer view. You see, we live in a world where quitting has become chronic. But trials require us to take a longer view. When it comes to anything hard in our world, and facing trials and temptations is hard work. We should not deceive ourselves about that. If we are willing to persist and to learn an endurance, then James chapter 1 verse 4 says there is a significant reward for us in the end. But notice the language of this verse. James 1 4 says endurance has to develop. It doesn't just magically drop into our laps as a result of facing trials or coming up against temptations. Endurance has to develop, which requires us to take a longer view. And when discussing this idea of developing endurance, which is all through the scriptures, and we see it modeled for us in the life of Jesus, the Bible uses a, a word picture for us of a gymnasium. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, which if you look on your bookmark insert in your uh, info sheet, that's going to come up in our reading in this coming week. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, when you face trials, it's painful, but later on, however, they will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by them. And this word trained that's being used in Hebrews 12 is uh, the word gymnasdo, from which we get the word gymnasium. And again, in, I'm indebted in my thinking about this image to Tim Keller. In his book, he suggests that it's helpful to think of what happens when you go into a gymnasium to train. And the first thing that you do when you go into a gymnasium to train, if you're serious about it at all, and you're not just a poser, is you change out of your street clothes. Because your regular everyday clothes prevent you from doing more strenuous moves. But there's another reason that you change out of your street clothes, and that is the gym, and this is why many people don't go to the gym, the gym actually exposes deficiencies in our strength and our conditioning and our appearance. So when we're in our everyday clothes, we can wear all kinds of clothes that hide or minimize those aspects of our physique that we don't want to be as visible, but not in the gym. When you go to the gym, everyone can see where you bulge where you shouldn't. Everybody can see where you are underdeveloped, where you should be more developed muscularly. And so this metaphor tells us that when life is going along just fine, the flaws in our character can actually be masked and hidden from ourselves and from others. But when troubles hit, suddenly we're in God's gymnasium and we are exposed. Our temper our inner anxieties, our unrealistic regard for our own talents and abilities, our tendency to lie or shade the truth, our lack of self-discipline, all of these things will come out. 
And the gymnasium of trials shows who we really are. But when you go to the gym, you don't just go to the gym to expose those things about yourself, do you? The reason you're going to the gym is because you want to put yourself in a place where you can change those things about yourself. And in order to change them, you're going to subject yourself, hopefully, to exercise. And exercise, whether it's cardio or weights, is the process of actually subjecting various parts of your body to pressure. If you lift weights, you're putting pressure on your bicep. If you run, you're exerting pressure on your respiratory or your circulatory system. Now, too much pressure is not good. It will cause your body to break down. And when you're in the middle of strenuous exercise, this is often how it feels because that's exactly what is happening. The muscles feel like they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker because you're subjecting them to this pressure. And sometimes that's how it feels for us in the middle of trials and suffering. But if you have done it properly and if you've been coached well, then your muscles will come back stronger from the experience. When you go for a long run, I'm a runner and I like running, you go, you, you know, the, after that, you don't feel great. Sometimes it's, depending on how long your run is, it may be difficult for you to walk up the stairs. Or when you wake up the next morning, you go, oh, I really feel sore, I overdid it on that one. But ultimately the goal is you, so you could run faster or longer, gaining endurance. And here again we see the parallel to trials in our lives. Little or no pressure in your life will not result in any meaningful change in your life. But the experience of weakness can lead to increasing strength if you endure. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says about his own experiences, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so James asks us to consider how in the world we think we're going to develop any endurance if we don't face any trials. Because trials test not only our faith, but they show up our endurance. The experience of weakness can lead to increased strength if we endure. Trials can strengthen us or trials can break us. James reminds us of this in the language of James chapter 1, verse 3. He says, this is an opportunity Consider it an opportunity for joy. But an opportunity means it's one you don't have to take. You can move through a trial in your life and you can become more anemic. You can become more angry. 
you can become mad at God and the world and bitter, hardened, or as we enter God's gymnasium and develop our endurance, we can know that like a good and wise coach, God dearly loves you and he has given you the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with his love and to help you endure and to help you grow in endurance as your faith is tested. And see, this is what makes all the difference for those who face trials and temptations as a person of faith. God has given you the Holy Spirit. He's filled your heart with it so that you can walk with him and know that he walks with you as your faith is tested. And so this is what makes the difference when we're faced with trials, big or little. It's our responses to those two questions that I was asked by border guards that day. Number one, what is the purpose of your visit? And if we understand the purpose that trials come into our lives for, the Bible teaches us the purpose of trials is to test and to assess and to strengthen our faith. And then the second question is, What's the duration of your stay? That relates to endurance. This can only happen, trials can only be seen as a test when we see, take a longer view and develop and grow in patience and endurance. And so if we want to grow and develop individually as people and as corporately as a church community, we need to develop two things in our life as individuals and corporately as Jericho Ridge, as a community. And the first one is we need to develop perspicacity. Now, this is not a word that I make up, although Pastor Keith and Tammy in the office tell me that I do that a fair amount and they proofread my documents fairly carefully, although sometimes I still sneak through a made-up word every now and then, even though they're vigilant. Perspicacity has to do with your perception of events and circumstances. It's making a shrewd or accurate assessment based on your observation. It's using discernment. And so when you are thinking about why has this come into my life, you need to assess and make accurate observations. An inaccurate observation would be say, because God doesn't love me. That's why this is coming into my life right now. But if you're perspicacious, you perceive problems and trials differently. Instead of seeing them as an unwanted intruder, you can, while again not being gleeful at their appearance, you make a shrewd assessment as to the purpose of trials in your life. You exercise discernment and you see them as a chance to grow. This is why if you ever meet people who have not walked through any trials in their life, they tend to be shallow, inauthentic, and they have challenges relating to God and relating to other people because they have not developed perspicacity in their lives. But people who have walked with God through pain and suffering tend to have higher levels of perspicacity and discernment. So let me ask you, how's your perception today? Do you see things that God is doing in and around you as trials to be avoided at all costs? Or could you see some of them as opportunities to grow and to develop endurance 
and patience. I think this is the beauty of a corporate body like the church because Jericho is a place where we can provide support to each other in the midst of walking through deep waters. As people find themselves growing in the midst of troubles into the person that God wants them to become, it takes perspicacity to walk alongside of somebody in that journey. It takes perspicacity to make an honest assessment of your own life. And if you feel overwhelmed and burdened, to be able also to walk alongside of others and not become self-absorbed and bitter. It takes discernment and perspicacity to know how to walk with people. And so we're growing in that here at Jericho. And I hope you're growing in that as an individual as well. The other thing that we need to develop according to this text is not just perspicacity, the ability to see things rightly, but also persistence, the ability to endure, to continue in a commitment that though we may not always know the full purpose of trials in our lives, we know what their purpose is not. And it is not because God does not love us, but rather persevering to see his ultimate desire in each of us. Because God's ultimate desire is not for you to be happy. God's ultimate desire is for you to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, solid, useful to God, and useful to other people around you. A few years ago, uh, Meg's parents gave me pottery lessons for Christmas. And so I, I learned a lot about pottery. And one of the things that I learned is, uh, when uh, you're making a pot, and almost none of mine turned out, apparently I didn't have enough endurance, perspicacity to stick the lessons out for as long as I should have. But when a potter bakes a pot, you check its solidity. You pull it out of the oven. You pull it out of the fire, and you actually thump it. And you see when you thump it what sound it makes. If it sings, it's ready. If it thuds, it's not ready, and you put it back into the oven. Author Max Lucado makes this observation about pottery. The character of a person is also checked by thumping. Have you been thumped lately? Late night phone calls, grouchy teachers, grumpy moms, burnt meals, flat tires, you've got to be kidding me, deadlines, these are thumps. Thumps are irritating inconveniences that trigger the worst in us. They catch us off guard. They catch us flat-footed. Sometimes they're not big enough to be a full-blown crisis, but if you get enough of them, watch out. Traffic jams, long lines, empty mailboxes, dirty clothes on the floor, thump, 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 thump. How do I respond? is the question. Do I thud or do I sing? Because there's nothing like a good thump to reveal the nature of your heart. The true character of a person is seen not in momentary heroics, but in the thump-packed humdrum of day-to-day -day living. And so my prayer for my own life and my prayer for your life, my prayer for us as a community of faith here at Jericho Ridge is that we would know the power of perspicacious 
perseverance. Try saying that five times fast. (laughs) Perspicacity would develop in our hearts. The ability to see things rightly, to assess them properly, and to be able to persevere as we stand with one another in the time of trial and testing. Let's pray together and we're going to move into a time of response in song. Father, we come uh, to you. We come just as we are. Many of us come struggling to cope with the demands and trials of life. And God, we're grateful today that you never turn your back on us. You promise to give us wisdom. You promise to give us the strength that that we need to face each day. And so, Father, we uh, rejoice in your commitment to us, in your own persistence in relating to us, because many times we desire to push you away. We want to get out of the challenges that we find ourselves in. And, Father, we thank you that you are persistent in your grace, in your mercy to us, Your word reminds us that you continue to invite us to come boldly to you, to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And so God, based on your promises to us and your continued commitment to us, Father, we ask that you would actually continue to test us. Test us here as a church. Test us as individuals until our character shines and we bring glory and honor to you, Father. It is what we desire to do. It's what you desire for us to develop maturity in our lives. But God, we resist that passively and actively. And so, Father, in this place today, we want to actually express our need for you to continue to test us and try us. Maybe all of us are not there. Maybe some of us are running from you. Some of us maybe don't know you actively in this place today, and that might be confusing for them. But God, I pray that you'd speak to each of those hearts that is wandering or that's far from you, and that you would remind each of them about your care and your love for them in this place today. In the midst of those situations in their past, and in their present where hurt has been done to them, trials have come into their lives that they have not desired. Father, we pray that you would bring healing and bring your grace. We pray, Father, that you would, for those who are going through deep waters right now, strengthen each of us, strengthen our care and compassion as a community of faith for those around us. Father, we declare again in this place today our need for you. We can't do this on our own. We're under no illusion that simply trying to put our head down and continue on through it and get through this is in any way developing endurance. Father, we want to develop maturity and endurance and perspicacity and perseverance and all of those things that you desire to pour into our lives. So God, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see in this place today the things that you want to develop in us. Amen.
I'm going to invite you to respond as we have two songs that the team will lead us through in that. You may want to kneel where you are and ask God to do a work in your life. Our prayer teams will be available at the sides. And so I'd invite you to um, make yourself uh, available to them. Just go over. Don't be too proud to ask for help. All of us experience trials in our life, little trials, big trials. And these are people that would love to stand with you and pray for you in confidence and know that God helps and hears in your time of need. If you're here at Jericho today and you know somebody that's going through a time of trial, I want you to just move over to them. Don't wait for them to go to the prayer team. Just go to them wherever they are and just say, can I pray for you? And just spend a few moments praying for them. So there'll be lots of movement. You're invited to stand if you'd like. You're invited to kneel. You're invited to sit. And again, the prayer teams will be available for you at this side as we declare our dependence on God here in this place this morning. Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Lessons deep, your grace is more, your grace is found. Where you are, where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me.
it says, Dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit as you wait the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. And in this way, you'll keep yourself safe in God's love. But you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, rescuing others, snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to others, but do so with great caution. All glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Glory and majesty and power and authority are his before all time, in the present and beyond all time. The team's going to continue in a spirit and atmosphere of worship. I invite you to stay if you would like to participate and either be prayed for. The prayer teams will stay. If you'd like uh, to spend time praying with someone around you, then we'd certainly invite you to do that. If you'd like at this time to go and pick up uh, your children, you'd be more than welcome to do that. If you're going to engage in conversation, just be respectful of those who continue to pray and worship together. Thanks for being with us this morning as we worship. Thank you.